On this episode, multi-day sups, back-breaking but rewarding work, and running away to join the circus. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. We have Randy Wharton as our guest tonight. We are very excited to be chatting with him in Tennessee, Chattanooga to be specific. He is the executive director of Wild Trails and an engineer, past retired engineer, I believe, at this point. And Randy, let's go ahead and actually, why don't we have you do a much better job of giving us an introduction of who you are? Uh, well, um, so, um, you know, long time ultra runner, I've probably been running on trails and, and mountaineering since I was eight years, well, not running since I was eight, but, um, grew up in Colorado, um, uh, went to university of Colorado, got an engineering degree, um, dropped out of, well, before that I dropped out of school for four years and, and joined the circus and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. Came back, got a degree, um, worked in Boulder for quite a while um, and then just kind of get a little bit tired of that mainly because of just a, a mainly air quality it was one of the main things that, that made us want to leave. And so I, I got a, I got recruited in a job in Huntsville, Alabama and we were thinking, wow, never thought in my wildest dreams I'd move to the south but uh, we uh, got this really great job there and so we we um, packed up everything and moved to Huntsville for uh, what we thought would be three to five year stint and then we moved back west somewhere and, and discovered Chattanooga um, you know we were also rock climbers in in Boulder and just discovered that Chattanooga has everything we love um, and found another love, which was uh, paddling and just how many now hundreds and thousands of miles of, of flat water paddling that is to be had here that we never even thought of was a, a cool thing back in Colorado. So, uh, you know, we couldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to, to move anywhere really. Um, so um, settled here. First thing we saw when we moved here was not a whole lot of, uh, of trail running. Um, a lot of trail, I mean, unbelievable amount of trails, but not a whole lot of running and not a whole lot of trail maintenance. So we started a, a nonprofit organization um, when we first moved to Chattanooga and just, it was going to, it was just a running club, just a fun little thing we were going to do to put on some trail races and uh, it just morphed into something pretty, really cool. And I, um, about 2009, when the whole um, housing collapse happened, um, uh, just decided to quit, you know, quit my corporate world and, uh, and just do this full time, sort of semi-retired, I guess. But, um, you know, I got the best job uh, I could possibly imagine. I, you know, we, we, we put on nine trail races and three paddleboard races a year. So we're a nonprofit, but all the money that we make on the races goes to the nonprofit. So we don't have to, I, you know, I don't even know the first thing about writing a grant or anything like that. So, we, uh, we raise our own money and it's just really great to um, spend most of my days out on the trails building and maintaining. Uh, we run a Sawyer program and yeah, it's just uh, it's a great life I have right now. 
And tell us more about the trails in Chattanooga. I know uh, we've spoken before a little about them, and you're saying there's there's an incredible number of trails that are actually uh, it's accessible, amazing. right? Yeah, thanks to our, not only thanks to the topography of Chattanooga, but thanks to our forefathers that were super ambitious about um, gifting land to the public. Um, we have... And I, I think this is really conservative to say that we have 54 trailheads within 25 minutes of downtown Chattanooga. So, and it is every direction you go. There's no excuse not to go out on a trail here. Whereas in Boulder, it's really kind of sad because there's, you know, there's the main Mesa Trail and the, and the loop that goes around there. But it is a massive, like, freeway. I mean, there's just so many people out on that. It's just... You know, it, it's, you know, 10 feet wide and in, in most places where I mean, there's just so much traffic to really get onto cool trails. You got to drive, you know, 30 minutes outside of Boulder. So, you know, we've got 54 trailheads. I think the second place um, in America is maybe Ashland, Oregon, and they have half that. And you think about most cities, you know, they, they back up to mountains. So all the trails are on one side, but we got mountains on all sides and it's just, yeah, it's just a, it's a fantastic place uh, to live if you love trails for sure. And, and water and flat waterways as well. I actually was in Chattanooga. We didn't actually meet, but um, I was back there in December and was able to appreciate some of your handiwork uh, on one of the trails. We hiked from the neighbor, from a neighborhood up uh, to some waterfalls on one of the trails that I guess you and Jill have been working on. Oh yeah. Um, So and, you know, she talks a lot about the fact that you're teaching her how to actually build trails. Talk a little bit about that, because I think there's that's something that we don't really think about a lot is how, how trails are made, right? You know, like you go and you enjoy the trails, but the maintenance and, you know, maintain not only maintaining trails, but creating new trails. And what it's kind of an art and it's becoming sort of a lost art, it feels like. It's a it's kind of a big deal um, to do it right, because you think about it, I don't care where you are in the country, um, the biggest problem is water. I mean, go to go to a desert, um, and they just their trails get just decimated in one big storm, and it's the same thing anywhere. I mean, you, if you don't build a trail right, the water's going to destroy it. So you have to you have to think about water first and foremost. And here, I mean, we get and we get so many big storms. It's a lot easier to to like understand that, and so. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of different ways to build a trail. Obviously, if you're building a trail for a horse, it's different than if you're building a trail for bikes. I mean, and most most all of what we do is pedestrian only. So it's totally different in that it's narrower and it can be a lot more rugged and you don't have to worry about building a wide corridor for two horses to go by at each other or, or bikes or whatever. So it's it's a little bit easier for for us for pedestrian only trails but still there's a lot going into it and, uh, and i kind of focus on backcountry trails um, even if it's close to close to downtown because there's so many trails out here that are perfectly for beginners so i kind of want to focus on you know people that if, if you want to really get the experience go and you need to hike a backcountry trail and get used to to, you know, some difficult, more, not, it's not, not really difficult. They're just narrower perhaps. And sometimes we leave more rocks in the trail. And if it's, you know, if there's a 
really pretty tree that's next to it. We'll go around the tree instead of, you know, trying to trying to mess with breaking, you know, cutting limbs off. And so, um, I, I guess it's safe to say it's a little bit easier than 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 a lot of other trails where you can just, you know, go in with a machine because a lot of I mean, most trails right now are built with machines. So it's a walk behind um, bulldozer basically that you know clears a three foot wide path. Um, and then people come behind it and clean it up. And, it, and it, you can you can build a mile in a day. Um, and you know I, I think that's you know that's necessary. Certainly, mountain bikes need that because you have to have wider trails. But you know, for us, it's not necessary. It's it's that's kind of building a road, um, if you will. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I think it's you know it, it's not a lost art, but it, it's 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 sort of dying because. You know, everybody, all the parks and where everybody, they get the money, say, hey, we want to build a trail. Let's get it done in, in you know, three months or whatever. And they want it done fast. And the only way to do that fast, unless you have just, you know, thousands of volunteers, you, you know, to have a machine to do it. And so, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. It's perfect for, I mean, it's really necessary for horses or mountain bikes. But for what we're doing, you know, I, I prefer the old-fashioned way. I mean, AT was 100% built by volunteers with hand tools. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's kind of sad to say a little bit that, you know, we don't, Americans don't like to bend over much. We don't like to do old-fashioned work. You know, digging a ditch was basically what we're doing. And it's a lot of work. It's hard on your back. And if you're not used to it, you know, three hours of that, it's going to kind of mess you up for a few days. So you know, getting volunteers that are okay with that, it's a little bit of a challenge for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, what are, do you have to adhere, when you're building a trail or designing a trail, kind of laying out a route, you know, how do you, first of all, like, how do you choose what route you're going to follow? Are you following, you know, old uh, use trails or, uh, you know, uh, animal trails? Are you trying to get to a specific point or connect with another trail? And do you have to follow any particular guidelines like uh, maximum grade or, you know, putting in switchbacks and things like that? Yeah. Um, so for sure, most of the trails, uh, we're, we're working a lot with the, with the Cumberland Trail right now. And um, they will first get, I mean, they'll sit down in front of their computer and lay it out based on on you know programs that they have as far as topography and and where that needs to go and kind of laying it out so it's you know no you know kind of roughly no more than a 10 percent grade for x number of feet and all kinds of you know there's there's stipulations they put in there but um it, it changes a lot when you get out and walk it because i mean you see i mean you can't see it on the computer when you're just looking at the topographic lines or whatever but you, you know, you see beautiful trees or you see a really cool rock feature or there may be a cave or there may be something, you know, really neat to see. And a lot of the little like water features that um, kind of cut through, you know, don't really show up so much. So, you know, thankfully, the Cumberland Trail folks have given us pretty much, you know, carte blanche. They always kind of check before we really start going. But uh, once I go out there, I just really love that part of it, just walking back and forth and trying to find really cool features and cool trees and rocks and whatever it is and and carve the trail so you get to see all that stuff. So that, that makes it a little bit different. Um, and obviously, the material you have to work with is, is kind of key. Um, you know, the, you, you don't really 
man, going through rhododendrons, I just can't imagine the, you know, the people that came through this, you know, part of the country with, you know, horse and buggy going through rhododendron fields. It's just unbelievable how brutal those, those plants can be. <laughs> They're just horrible. So we try to avoid those at, at all costs if we can. But, um, so yeah, some, some, some of the, the, the flora is really hard to, to get through. So we kind of uh, try to bump around that, but also, you know, we want to stay to water, close to water features and, and whatnot that. So we bump it around. That's just fun because I walk back and forth. I can't tell you how many times I've just, you know, tried to figure out the perfect line. And once we get it all laid out, then we, you know, we have a clonometer, which kind of me it measures the height of the trail and you know we want to kind of stick to that 10 10 degree or you know or less uh as far as climbing goes but you know sometimes you know you just got to deal with what you have and sometimes it's uh there, there's no other way around it or you have to build a ladder or you know some stairs or some really steep steps and you know we really enjoy that kind of stuff as well yeah, and I suppose when you do that, you're using the materials that are you know, found materials mostly, stuff that's right around where you're building the trail, right? Rocks. Well, yeah, and there's, I mean, so steps, you know, are a key. I mean, if you want to if you want to build stairs, you you kind of need something. And one of the old mistakes that I think I hope is gone now is, you know, to build kind of retaining walls using the wood that's there. But you know, it. it a rots. I mean, it's gone in, in a matter of, you know, 10 years or whatever. It doesn't matter how long, but that wood is going to turn into soil and you're going to lose that support structure. And there's still a lot of the Cumberland Trail that is built that way. And we've got to go back in and fix it. So rock is the only way to really armor a trail. If you're trying to build some kind of a retaining wall or, or steps, you have to do it with rock or, you know, uh, there, there's just, no, there's no other option. So, you know, that's sometimes hard to find if, you know, if it's all just, you know, out there and, and there's no real cliff band to, to, to pull from. So, you know, that, that makes it hard. And we've had some difficult situations where we've had to try to haul in rocks, you know, backpack, you know, 150 pounds of, a, of rock on a backpack for, for a half a mile to just make steps happen. So one person carrying 150 pounds of rock. Um, actually 142 is the, uh, is the record so far. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> and these are volunteers we're That's talking brutal. about. <laughs> yeah. Not only, yeah, they're volunteers, but they do get paid with uh, pizza and beer after, after the day. So it's not, it's not total volunteer, but they get paid. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fair. <laughs> totally fair. Your knees and your back when you're 60 for, for some pizza and beer. That sounds, yeah, that sounds about. <laughs> well, you know what? This, this, I, I don't want to brag or anything, but because I've been digging a ditch, you know, for a lot of years now, my back is stronger than, than most of the people that are, that are 30 and 40 year olds that, that go out there. Because it's a different kind of motion. I mean, uh, even, even the guys that are really into the gym, they're doing like deadlifts and stuff. You're not, they're not bending over. And you know it's a it's a it's a different motion, for sure. So there's not a whole lot of like gym exercises that replicate um, building a trail. So I, I have a pretty strong advantage. Maybe shoveling snow. <laughs> but yeah, shoveling snow would help for sure. <laughs> and, and some of you have snow, 
around. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No. no, we're Southern um, California. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Te- yeah, Texas no. had a lot just recently. So. Yeah, that's yeah. Recently, there've been sn- there's been snow in like all but two states, I think, in the in the contiguous U.S. So. Yeah, it's uh, all around here except in Chattanooga. I mean, just a little dusty here, <laughs> and it pisses me off. I, I miss it. Randy, tell us more about your race series. Um, you said you have paddle racing and ultra and run races. Sort of, what are the what are the distances? What are are they beginner? Are they ultra? Like, what sort of? Yeah, tell us more about your races. All, yeah, it is all over the map. Um, we uh, we have a five k. We have one five k that's kind of geared more for kind of high school it's because it's like right after school gets out um so you know kind of geared for the kids um and that is at audubon acres which is super cool place um and then a 50 we have a 50 mile race lookout mountain 50 which is um pretty popular uh i think we pretty much maxed it out and it's really surprising even with covid we had 520 uh, participants in well that, that there's three races there's a there's a 50 mile an 18 mile and a 10k so 540 between the three of them and so that pretty much maxes out pretty i think we could maybe have up to 600 with the parking now they've just in, included a couple of other lots but um at, as i guess you can imagine you know trail races you know the, the you know the maximum is pretty much dictated by how many parking spaces you have so, but we've got a whole bunch of like little races because the parking lots are not that big and they're just so much fun. We kind of really focus on low key, low dollar, um, just super fun. And we've got uh, three or four people that are just love to cook and we've got, you know, great beer sponsors. So we have, you know, big parties afterwards, even with COVID, we, we were able to, to successfully um, do that kind of like, it, it's kind of get your food and go home. Sadly, there wasn't a whole lot of big celebration afterwards, but we really kind of focus on that. So, you know, that, and they're all over town. It's every area in town. It's kind of interesting. We also put on a, 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 a stage race and my wife and I uh, really fell in love with stage races by going to Europe. And we did a, we did the Swiss Jura and then the Moravian ultra marathon, which I mean, just changed our life about, you know, what is possible day after day. I mean, who could think you could run a 50k a day for seven days? And we're like, oh, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. And, and it was just awesome. It was just an amazing experience. So we came back and, and started our, our, our Chattanooga um, stage race. And it was yeah, 20 miles a day for three days. And at that time, there was only one other stage race in America. And so it, it grew and grew and grew. And it's just, it really became popular. And in that whole process, I had buddies that were putting on races in Birmingham and in, Chet- and in Huntsville and in Knoxville and in Nashville. And they said, we want to do a stage race in our town. I was like, well, great. That's awesome. He said, but we don't have, we can't put together three 20 mile days. And I was like, okay. So they did, you know, a, you know, a, they, they did some good stuff, but we got, I got to think if we could put on 10 20 mile days. And so this year we're going to do a, a seven, it's going to be a 20 mile day for seven days, but the four days beginning, um, it's going to be before the main three day race. So we're going to, we're going to, I mean, I'm yeah, kind of showing off a little bit because we have all these great trails, but yeah, we could, I mean, we really have so many great opportunities, you know, for trail races here. It's, it's amazing. And 
And I think people are, I mean, not only people are seeing it, but they're coming to doing the races and then moving to Chattanooga because they see how, how many wonderful trails we got. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of miles of trails. I wanted to find out a little bit more about the stage race thing, because I'm not familiar with it. So like, I know like if you go to a half marathon or a marathon or a typical, mm -hmm. you know, 10K, there's like a start, you know, the, the, the gun cracks and, you know, you might be in corrals based on your your speed, your estimated speed and that sort of thing. But um, everyone kind of starts at the same time and you finish when you finish. How does right. that work in a stage race or how is that different? Oh, it's no different. I mean, it's just a, a, every day is the same. I mean, it's a it's a group start. I mean, this year we we did uh, chip starting on on a couple of our races, which is I mean, which allowed us to spread out. But for the stage race, we didn't. Everything's been gun start for the for the stage race. So it's it's three independent days. You know, they start at you know eight o'clock in the morning and finish one. I mean, it's, it's normal. It's a, it's a, it's a normal race. It's just three in a row. And then what do you, do you like total up the, you know, the time from all three stages or however many stages yeah. there are? And okay. Yeah. It, it is. So you a, could, it, you could win, you could win for the first stage, but not win the overall. Yeah. You could win in, in individual days. That means nothing. I mean, zero. <laughs> Nothing? Not even like bragging rights? Come on. Yeah, you could maybe have bragging rights, but you don't get anything. It's not and there's no there's no celebration about who wins that day. I mean, um it is a hundred percent uh the the culmination of the three days. Strategy becomes a bigger piece of it and like how well you recover. So it's also yeah. on the stage races, it's not just how fast you are on any given day, it's the ability to sort of maintain Yep. That fitness and recovery after, well, which is interesting. Really cool story. Um, on I think it was the the second or third year. Ah, I forgot the girl's name. Um, but anyway, she was in. Patsy Smith. Who was it? Patsy Smith. Oh, Patsy Smith. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So she um, was in second place overall after the second after the second day. So the third day. It's, I mean, everybody's like, oh, I mean, she's not that far from winning overall. And so I was out on the course and it was just so much fun watching the top two because Patsy had a had her vest on and she, and then I, I watched her, she took her vest off and threw it off on the side of the trail and just took off. And she, um, she, I mean, she was just hell bent to win the whole thing. It was really close. I mean, I think she took second place by like four minutes or something, but yeah, it is all about, um, preservation. And I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, and we've had a, the seven day stage race, um, last year, uh, the year before last didn't do it on the COVID year, but, um, just as a test. And there was like four people that did seven days and they all agree with what I told them because uh, our experience with these European stage races was, your body continues to sort of degrade after about three days, but for some some reason, it's like okay, your body's saying okay, I'm I, I guess I'm stuck doing this crazy thing every day, and we got stronger after day three. So I mean, everybody that did the seven day year before last, they had the same exact thing. It's like I felt I felt horrible. I mean, at at, at start of day three. But day four, it was better. Day five was a little bit better. I mean, 
everybody felt pretty good at the end of the seventh day, which is, it doesn't make any sense really. Um, it, but if you, if you eat well and you're totally hydrated and you, you're well-fueled, uh, you know, your body just gets used to it. Unless you're, unless you, you break something, there's no reason why you can't just keep going. And so, I mean, that, you know, there's, there's been stories of people, you know, running a marathon a day for a month kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's, uh, we're built for this. I mean, a long, slow distance, you know, travel is kind of what, what we're good at. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to go through. I mean, but a lot of people talk about a hundred mile race being like the, you know, the, the greatest sort of ultra, you know, you can really, you know, experience a, a lot of emotions in one day. But these stage races are not, you know, maybe not up to 100 miles, but pretty close. It's really, really an interesting personal journey kind of thing. So, so speaking of long, slow distance, I know you do a lot of stand-up paddleboarding. Um, in fact, you had one, I believe you had one adventure where you sort of did a combination of uh, trail running and uh, stand-up paddleboarding? No, uh, well, no. Well, I guess I did a little, a little ultra shuffle jogging stuff, but um, I, uh, I did this, this, Called the, I call it the Big Cumberland Loop, but started in downtown Chattanooga, and and ran and hike up to the Cumberland Trail, and then I I did the entire Cumberland Trail because the Cumberland Trail ends one of the terminuses in is is in Chattanooga, and then the other one is up in almost in Kentucky, so I did the whole thing. It's not completely finished, so there was a couple little um, road sections that I had to go around, and then I I finished the the Cumberland Trail, and then. I don't know. There was like six or eight miles that I ran to go down to the the Powell River, which I do this stand-up paddleboard trip every year, which is um, all the way across the state of Tennessee. So it starts almost in Kentucky, and it ends really I mean, like two blocks from uh, Alabama. So Powell River dumps into the Clinch River, that dumps into the Tennessee River, and it's just a it's a great week long trip. One of my I mean, it's by far my favorite solo weeks, uh, that I do. So, so that, I mean, I, I did the big loop. So I ran and I backpacked, uh, the Cumberland trail and then jumped on my paddleboard and, and paddled all the way back to Chattanooga. So it's five sounds really cool. 560 miles or something like that in 19 days. So it's really, it was an awesome trip. Wow. So, 516 miles in 19 days. So you know, what's the breakdown of, you know, the backpacking versus the paddleboarding? I'm assuming you can go a lot faster going, you're going downstream, I assume. Yeah, but there's a lot, there's four, there's four dams to portage. So there's a lot of lakes as well, but a lot of people just don't. And this is one thing that I, you know, I know it's going to catch on at some point, but you know, a lot of people around here that are into paddling don't get it as far as stand up paddleboarding multi-day. They just don't, can't, they can't, get their mind around going, you know, 40 miles a day or whatever. But it's, uh, it, in my opinion, it's, a, it's the best way to travel in nature. You can go so much farther uh, with so much, uh, I mean, l- less impact on your body. Um, and you're right next to the shore, so you get to see so much wildlife that you would never be able to. I mean, I, in my, in my SEPTA state, um, I see more wildlife in that one week than I see on the trails all the rest of the year combined, without a doubt. Um, just amazing uh, interactions with everything from from wild cats and uh, eagles. And I mean, 
a lot of people say there's not there's not golden eagles in in Tennessee, and that is, I mean, I, I see them every every time I do I do this trip. They're just awesome, and I mean, bald eagles everywhere, of course. But um, yeah, it's just a it is a great great trip, and and it's just not that hard to go forty miles a day. It's I mean the the twenty miles a day I did on the backpack trip was harder, and that was you know that was. It was basically roughly two weeks hiking and and one week paddling, and the the backpacking was was far harder on my body than the paddling trip, without a doubt. And I have to say, I uh, it's the first time in my life I discovered ultralight packing and game changer all day long. I will never go back. I will never go back to carrying a, a sixty pound or even a forty pound backpack. So I got it down to 18 pounds with seven days of food and a liter of water, and I will never go back to the 40 pounds. It's just so much more fun. I never took my backpack off. Filtered water, I mean, just, I mean, I didn't even really, I mean, think about it, 18 pounds, you don't even feel it. You know, and so for those of you that are, that are interested in getting into it, it's expensive, yes. You know, my old backpack was probably $140.00. My ultralight pack is three hundred and fifty dollars, so you're paying for it. But the, I mean, they stand by the. I mean, every every piece of gear that I bought, they stand by and say if anything happens, they'll. Re it's kind of like the Patagonia the promise. I mean, if something happens, they'll fix it or they'll repair, re replace it. So I mean, it will last the rest of my life, and I I, I wish I'd have I wish I'd have spent the money you know ten years ago. So what was your what was your sort of general gear list? Maybe and that might be a fun thing if you don't mind sharing it that we could post in the show notes. Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah, you're going to ask me about names. I don't know the product names, no. but the, it, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think the the backpack was a big part of it. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember the, I can't even remember the name of it, but it's so just so awesome. And it was it How many was liters? A, it was forty liters, and I didn't okay. use I didn't use much of that at all. And so I got a down sleeping bag that, that weighed nothing. I mean, one pound. Um, and uh, I got one of those accordion um, pads that was super lightweight. And, I got, and since then, I've got another one that's even better. Um, I, think, I think probably the biggest thing was the um, – and REI is not really known for, like, gear, gear you know, development. But I bought an REI. Um, it was called a Flash Air 1. Um, single person tent and it weighed 1.1 pounds and it was I mean my other I, my other single person tent weighed, cost me a 40 I think it was $40 or $45 this thing was 250 bucks but let me tell you it is awesome it it had a vestibule on it and a super lightweight fat I mean for a, a pound one pound for a tent that um, I mean it was just fantastic the rain flies built in and you know just couldn't couldn't uh, endorse a better product. I don't, I'm not sure there's others out there that are that are equally as good. But um, the tent's a pretty important thing as far as keeping yourself uh, comfortable and dry. But man, that was just you know I couldn't believe it was that light. My 40 pound uh, tent weighed like four and a half pounds. <laughs> forty dollar forty dollar tent. So anyway, I uh, yeah I, I really love the ultralight stuff and. Can't, I can't wait to do more. 
What did you use for your, did you cook meals? Did you have a stove? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Or... my old stove uh, was a jet boil. Awesome. If you don't, if you're not familiar with jet boil, it's a great stove, but it weighed a lot. And I've just, I found one of these just super lightweight titanium, tiny things that fits in the palm of your hand and it's, it works great. There's nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I lost uh, several pounds there as well. And was your hiking or your backpacking gear the same that you used on the paddleboard? Oh no, okay. <laughs> um, my tent. Most of the most of the like yeah, the tent and sleeping gear it was. But the cool thing about paddling is uh, that I mean you're you're not having to carry it. I mean I can put 110 extra pounds on my paddleboard and I probably won't won't notice much difference. So I um, instead of having freeze dried food, I have you know tasty bites and. Um, you know, actually, I think I brought a six pack of beer, uh, at the start of my battle trip. So yeah, I, I mean, there's, yeah, I, I, there's, it's probably twice, twice the weight, at least on the, my paddle trip without a doubt. So, you know, extra clothes and books to read, that kind of stuff. So, uh, two questions. The first one, has anyone else done this loop that you know of? Well, no, and nobody really wants to do it. And the reason is I, I can't get anybody to get really hooked into the paddling part of it. So I think a lot of people are like, wow, that's really cool, but there's no way I'm going to do that paddle trip in a week. I mean, because they just, they can't get it. They can't get their mind around it. I don't understand why. I mean, there's there's a lot of super long distance paddle uh, races in America and in the world. So, I mean, it's not a new thing, but I, I just... I just don't understand. It takes a while. You have to get, I mean, it's like anything. You can't just jump in and, and do it overnight, but um, it didn't take, I mean, it, it was probably a year of training, you know, get, training my body, my feet, whatever. And my, it's a, it's a whole new motion, but uh, once you get it, 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 you got it. I mean, it, it, there's no reason why you can't do it all day long. And so I just, yeah, it's still a struggle to me. And i I'm working fairly tirelessly to try to figure out what, what is it going to take to get more people interested in this kind of stuff because it's, you know, it's a, it's a life changer. So I, um, I really hope somebody else will, will try the big loop because it's going to get easier as the trail continues to get built. And it's, you know, I can't wait to, I'm, I want to do it, you know, maybe probably won't do it this summer, but I'd like to do it with my wife, you know, maybe next summer, which um, I think that that's probably doable. So see what happens. How long are the portages that you have to do? Because you mentioned there's a few dams where you have to. So I'm assuming you you're know, carrying your board and your gear. I don't have to. I mean, they all, uh, not all of them, but three of the four have dock. I mean, we can go through the, the, the docks. And so, I mean, I mean, the locks. So, I, and I've done that before, but I mean, I just, I like, I like getting off the board and walking. I mean, it's not a big deal. I've got a really cool um, sort of wheel, wheel thing that I've, flip my board upside down and I put my pack on the bottom of the board and then I just carry, I just drag the board on these really nice sort of all-terrain wheels. And it's a, it's a nice break really. I mean, it, I don't, I don't mind it at all. And I think the longest one is maybe, maybe a mile and a half, I guess. Um, so yeah, most of them are, are really not bad at all. Um, sometimes the biggest thing is just getting, getting up to the road because there's a couple of them they're just big riprap sections you know they have they have a place where you maybe be able to get out on a on a dock 
or on a ramp, but then you got to go way around the other side. It's a big drive, but um, the quickest way is you know, sometimes just climbing over the rocks and, and just going over the dam and back down. So um, it's not so bad. I mean, I, I really enjoy that part of it. Is there a time of, is it like geared towards a specific time of year? Or I mean, obviously winter, it's going to be really cold, but are there sort of like ideal times to aim for to do it? Well, I've always done my paddle trip in, in August. Um, and this this year was a little bit later. I think I started the whole thing um, the, er, the first week of September. Um, so, um, yeah, it, um, you, know, you, you know, it's in the summer. Um, it's hot, but it's not, I mean, I, I, I didn't really, this is a pretty mild, mild summer we had here. So it wasn't so bad. Um, I, I just can't think of, a, of a, any time of year that, I mean, it was fine for me. There was, it, you know, being in the middle of the summer, there was more snakes and more bugs. Um, there was one stretch that I had, uh, I knew it fairly well that there was a lot of um, nosiums or chiggers. And, um, and I don't know why they're such a big deal because I mean, it, it if you know that they're there and they, they usually, they usually are where there's a lot of tall grass and there wasn't a whole lot of maintenance on that section. So, um, but if you know that they're there, then when you get, you know, when you get done with the day, you know, put on some glasses and a, and a headlamp and, you know, scrape them off. They come off with your fingernail. So you, you, you don't. If they stay on you over the night, then you then you have the big itchy problem, you know, for three or four days afterwards. But yeah, that was one. No, maybe two days. I had um, some bug issues, but you know, I mean, I got them off, and no big deal. You know, I had one little scare with a with a uh, timber rattler, and um, you know, that was only it. I mean, there was no other. Oh, I forgot about the mountain lion. Uh, not mountain lion, bobcat. That was pretty cool. He was pretty close to me, and he was curious about what what I was doing. So um, that was kind of fun. It's a pretty big difference between a mountain lion and a bobcat, at least as far as <laughs> actually scary uh, or intimidating. I thought it was a mountain lion because mm-hmm. um, it was big. big. It was it was a it was a it was one of the larger bobcats I've seen. And I had one little run in with a bear, which I mean, it was a bear cub, and. Uh, I could have taken it, no problem. I would have taken him down. So bear wrestle him. I would have wrestled him. Down, it's so. not. It's not the cubs you need to worry about in those scenarios, though. The mom. Right, the mom's the right mama. next door. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think summer is probably uh, a little bit may, maybe challenging for some, but I mean, I, it's not that big a deal. I don't think so. So fall or fall or spring. Spring probably would be the best time of year, but. Um, you know, especially if you're going to do a paddle trip, you probably need to have, a, you know, a few weeks, you know, maybe months of, of, of paddling before you embark on something like that. And a lot of people just don't want to paddle during the winter, which, you know, there's no reason not to, as long as you have a wetsuit or a dry suit and, or change of clothes. I mean, it's not, it's not that big of a problem as long as the air temperature is up there a little bit. Well, well, speaking of seasons, do you want to maybe tell everyone and, and talk a little bit about why we're talking to you in mid-February and not uh, early January, as was originally the plan? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, I I had a great 2020. I mean, it, it, was, it was horrible for most people. 
Um, but it was really fun for me. I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, my wife is a teacher and so she, it was kind of all kind of shut down. So she did all of her teaching from, from home. So we were here together and we did a lot. Um, it, it was good. I mean, I had no problem. I did this big trip and, um, you know, the, the races we put on were successful and, you know, had to bump them all from, you know, got, we didn't do anything in the first part of the year, but it was a good year. And then January happened and it was not so good. So we were in Florida and I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure it was COVID, um, but just got d destroyed as far as just no energy, horrible headaches, just, you know, hated it. And it got better came back here. And I think right when we were about to do it, it, it came back. And so uh, they, there's this thing with COVID called the long haul, which you get it and then it just keeps coming back. And I don't think I ever got sick really, but yeah, it, it came back for like three or four days and then it went away for a day or two and then it came back for two or three days. And I still don't think I'm a hundred percent over it, uh, but yeah. January was probably one of the worst months of my life. <laughs> Have you but, been able to start running again and, and hiking? Oh again? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My, yeah. my wife, um, uh, had back surgery, um, uh, early in the year last year. Uh, I'm sorry. It was May. Yeah, it was May. And, um, so she, uh, now is, you know, fully on, I mean, it was, it was, uh, something I, I think we both wished she would have done it, you know, five years ago because it's been great for her. So she's now back running full, full bore, which is kind of scary for me. I mean, I, I always, back when she was like winning every race she got into, I was happy to be the first girl because it's just fun, you know, running, running with her. So now we're back, you know, not, you know, not running a lot. I don't, I don't think we're up to 40 miles a week, but you know, I think there's, there's hope. I don't think, I don't know about a hundred miler again, but you know, maybe hundred K this year, certainly, you know, 50 Ks are, are in the plan and yeah, I can't wait to get back. Not necessarily racing. I never really thought of being com competitive, but I like being the, the first competitive girl kind of, kind of thing and watching that, <laughs> watching that unfold, which is, which is just fun for me. Uh, and for Chris, because she's not really that competitive, but she she always ends up, you know, winning most of what she gets in. <laughs> so. so, should we be talking to Chris instead of you? I'm I mean, I'm kind of confused here. <laughs> well, she's uh, she's uh, far 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 more um, accomplished of a of a runner than I am, without a doubt. I took third place in a race once. Hey. <laughs> We'll have to do a follow-up uh, podcast interview with Chris. That's right. Sure. We'll, we'll yeah. hear the other side. Yeah. Well, she won't tell you all the good stuff, but I I, I can if you want. I'll give all the good stuff, all the all the good facts. What uh what big plans do you have for 2021? Or are there any big plans? Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do some cool fast packing stuff. I, I looked at the the couple's record on the Colorado Trail. Is not very impressive. It's like you know I don't know. It's eighteen or 19 miles a day. And I know that we could, we could, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say I know cause that's at altitude. It's a whole different game, but we grew up there and I, I'm pretty confident that we could, we could do something like that. And, um, and just, just backpacking in general, cause we've, we've 
been backpacking and mountaineer, you know, all, all our life. So with this whole ultralight scene, I, it's just, yeah, I'm really, we're both really excited about, you know, doing a lot of that for sure, which combines running and, and, and overnight backpacking. So yeah, that's probably, probably big, uh, for the year. Um, and, you know, hopefully doing some traveling, uh, we've been putting off a you know, some paddling, uh, it, uh, hopefully overseas, you know, somewhere where there's like crystal clear ocean water, <laughs> you know, maybe the Bahamas, I'm not sure exactly where, where we're going to go, but hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do something like that. And, and, and maybe a race, you know, maybe overseas somewhere. I'm not sure. We're going to do uh, our first race back. We've already got signed up for the, for the Grand Veduta uh, stage race in Huntsville, which is, oh, it's like, 15 and 18 and 14 or something like that. So looking forward to that end of uh, April, I think it's going to be, a, it's going to be a fun year. I hope. Hopes, hopes, the hopes and dreams of 2021. <laughs> we'll Indeed. see. They will be different. That's for sure. Um, and then do you have your, are you planning on doing your races as well again? Yeah. All of our races are full on. I mean, there's no, um, couple of the there's the there's the county parks are closed for and there's no events for the whole year but i mean with uh with, with the trends going the other way pretty aggressively now i think they're going to open that back up so that we got we got two races at at uh the county park that uh, i think probably will will be able to happen if not we'll move them to a different location but yeah i think we're looking good for every everything's going to be full on except for the, we put on a 50 mile paddle race, which is a, a, an amazing loop course in Chattanooga. So inland, there's hardly any places in America you could do 50 mile loop, uh, kind of out and back. It's called Five Star 50 because it uses five independent bodies of water. So it goes up all these creeks and out and back on creeks, and then on the Tennessee River and back to back to downtown. So um, this will be the Third year, no, yeah, not not counting last year. There will be the third year to put on this race, and I I can't get um, I can't really get a whole lot of people to join me. So that one I am going to really get a little bit more aggressive, try to go outside of the the region to find people, and I've, I've got some pretty good interest right now. I got a guy that that lives in Pueblo, Colorado, that's going to come out and do it for sure. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that, but usually I'm the only one doing that race. <laughs> we'll connect you with our friend, Michael Kelly, who was on our show, uh, a few episodes ago. He's a big paddler. I feel oh. like this is right up his alley and you might just be able to convince him to do the loop with you too. The backpacking oh, <laughs> pa paddle loop. I feel like that's his kind of supper fest. <laughs> um, uh, and also uh, bike packing is another thing that we're are gonna embark on this year. So I can't wait to, to get involved in that. So we're, we're both um, gonna buy dirt bike, I mean gravel bikes, not dirt bikes, uh, not mountain bikes. I'm way too old to be a mountain biker, but gravel biking sounds really, um, well, it is a great, great sport for sure for me. Um, so you, you did drop a little sort of hint or a little bomb about uh, being uh, working in the circus or being a part of the circus. I, I kind of feel like we have to address that or, you know. Yeah, that sounds like it's a joke, but are you serious? Did that happen? <laughs> it, it, well, it did, yes. Um, so I um, 
was a springboard diver um, and gymnast in, in high school and got a scholarship uh, to uh, for springboard diving and um, half halfway through my second my third year of college um, they dropped the program uh, along with 11 other sports in University of Colorado so they um, it was really kind of sad they, they gave all the athletes literally three months to find a new school and there was there was a couple gymnasts that were on the Olympic team that had to go to a different school because they they weren't they weren't allowed and it was it, it was kind of it was like out of the blue they had a new new president that just decided if it, if the sport's not making money for the school we're getting rid of it so I uh, didn't have any money um, at, you know kind of working my way through school and um, out of the blue my high school diving coach said hey I just got a, a invite from a, a company in Hong Kong they're looking for um, divers so it's a um, it, it was a high diving team, but they do shows, so it's a lot of like synchronized diving, and there was there was springboards, and then there was a tower, and that uh, you went up to actually 100 feet. And so I, I'd never I'd never been off of anything more than 30 meters, um, so um, or 10 meters, 30 30 feet. So uh, it's like, well, shoot, that sounds good. I mean, that and I literally signed i didn't even sign a contract i just talked to the guy over the phone he said we we really need because we got two more teams that we got we got to fill and we lost i mean we lost some divers due to due to an accident so it's like oh, that didn't sound good to me at all <laughs> so i'm like all they, right. uh, they actually jumped off the 90 meter one right That's <laughs> wrong one. but anyway i said oh, i'm good so i uh, yeah i went there and it was uh, you know four years uh, on and off in Hong Kong, whereas we had a we had a full time show year round in Hong Kong, and then in the summers we'd go to Europe and and do shows, and then so I went yeah two two summer went well two different places in England in one summer two summers in Belgium and one summer in Spain and then a winter in Taiwan and then the rest of the time was basically in Hong Kong. And just a phenomenal experience. Um, just learned uh, you know a lot about cultures, and learned a lot about myself, and learned how to high dive. And you know, I, you know, threw my body off of a hundred hundred foot uh, tower, you know, hundreds of times without really getting hurt really bad. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was just a phenomenal experience. And so then came back. Everybody, it's like, oh, my dad was like, you got. Yeah, I was I was you know potentially one of the first ones in our family to get a college degree. You know, like I was gonna just throw it all away, but you know, came back and finished my degree, my undergrad, and got a master's degree, and so kind of made up for all that afterwards. But yeah, it was a it was one of the uh, you know great changing moments in my life, really, because I never really traveled much, and yeah, I um, uh, kind of defined me in a way that probably never would have happened without that. So if you had a chance, Randy, and somebody, you know, wheeled up a, a hundred foot platform, uh, would you, uh, would you climb up there and dive off or? I probably wouldn't, um, just because I know that, you know, my knees, I mean, I know I could do that. I could do the dive uh, and I could probably go in straight, but I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty significant impact because you're, you know, you're going at something to the tune of 80 miles an hour or something like that. 
And so it, um, if you don't go in like perfect and the, that the good thing about it is if you do it right, you have a long ways to line it up. If you, I mean, if you got it figured out, so you, you, you can, you can correct it. So there's, it's kind of almost hard not, if you're really paying attention, which you should be, uh, it's hard to, to not get it right because you have a long ways to look at it. And so you can go in straight up and down. Um, but I don't think my knees probably would, uh, would like me very much. Uh, my, there's, there's a place here, local here that you can go with. It's, uh, I think one side's 35 and the other side's like 40 feet. And that's probably the, the limit, uh, that I want to go up to right now. <laughs> I can't even imagine, you know, yeah. just, I, I, I just think back to when I was in high school and the first time I went off a 10 meter platform and I, you know, I'm watching all these other kids, you know, go up and jump off. And I'm like, we weren't even diving. I mean, we were just jumping, you know, and, and going in feet first and, and you have time to think on your way down and that's only what 30 feet or so, you know, it's like yeah. nothing, you know, compared to what you're talking about. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. It's one of the, um, it, it is a, an amazing experience really, especially when you're doing multiple flips because you can't jump off because uh, you, 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 I mean, that would be the dumbest thing to do is just to jump off because you can't control your, you can't control your entry when you're just jumping off. You have to do a flip that way you can, you can slow down the, the, the flip or speed it up however you want. But so, I mean, but, since there's so much time, you might as well do two or three flips because I mean, it's it's just more fun that way. <laughs> so. I mean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you gonna do? <laughs> you got a lot of time to think about it, so. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great experience for sure. That's awesome. Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, if people want to find you or your races, what is the best way for people to do that? So yeah, wildtrails.org. Um, get you on the website um, or Facebook and Instagram, and um, you know you can get me at, at that. I mean, info at Wild Trails comes to me. So yeah, uh, would love if there's anybody out there that wants to to uh, do multi-day paddle trips because that's kind of the new thing that I really uh, want to get in. Santa paddleboarding is the second fastest growing sport in in the history of mankind worldwide. Second to mountain biking. Mountain biking takes the lead and has been for quite a few years, but it is growing really fast. And, and uh, I think the, 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 you know, the long distance stuff is, is starting to get some traction. Um, and it'll probably be a few years, but I, you know, can't get here too soon for me. So go give it a try. If you have any interest, I mean, it, it, it is just, um, you know, day, I mean, that's another thing. Most of the places that I paddle, there's just, there's no shortage of campsites. I mean, I, I pass a hundred great campsites every day. And so, um, and I, I'm a zero impact kind of camper, so I never make a fire and just, you know, perfect place to pitch a tent and, and uh, watch wildlife. And yeah, it's, it's great. Give it a try. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, that was good, great. Good yeah. talking to you guys. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. 
Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, please make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we have chef, athlete, and most likely super spy, Lentine Alexis. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.